Welcome to Fast Growth Stories, the straight-talking guide for entrepreneurs who want to grow quickly and secure funding. Brought to you by EHE, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fast Growth Stories. I'm Nairi, your host from EHE, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Brown, co-founder sorry, of Visori. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hello. Very good. Thank you. Very nice thank, to see you. Thank you. You too. And I'll tell you why I just said co-founder, because I made that really big mistake of talking about something just before we started recording. And I'll share it because actually I think it's a really interesting point that I asked you if you wanted to be introduced as a founder or a co-founder. And we were talking about the dynamics and whether people feel that 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 dilutes it. Some people are like really precious about being co-founder and I'd written it down, just that talking point. And that's why I I did it. So yeah, interested. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we had to start recording because we were having a nice chat. And then I was thinking, oh, we're going to start talking about all the good stuff that we want to record on the podcast. So yeah, let's let's get into it. So I'm so happy you're on here because you've got some really good things that we've not really covered before, but I think people will find really really interesting and hugely valuable before we get into some of those i just wondered sean if you could give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour and background and you and your entrepreneurial career and and visori as well if you don't mind yeah sure i reckon it started around about 2009 i didn't really do the best at school went on not a very posh gap year and found myself as a a diving instructor in australia and then i got you're on boats at anchor at night so I came up with this idea for a social media network for scuba diving. So I created something called Social Scuba and then started getting lots of different users of that and then ended up selling it for not very much money and realized, oh, you can make something from your laptop with a little bit mm-hmm. of code and an idea. So I started building a bit of a career out of doing that sort of thing. And I'd say around 2014, no, I'd say a bit later, actually, about 2015, 16, I built an influencer marketing platform called Hatch and it was acquired by Social Chain in Manchester. So moved up from London to Manchester as like a bit of an aqua hire and worked for Steve Bartlett and Don McGregor in like the very early founding stages of, of Social Chain. I think everyone knows the story of Social Chain. So we grew that business and I started going down the more e-commerce and product route with Social Chain. I saw the inefficiencies with the back end of e-commerce and marketplaces, et cetera. So I built an e-commerce and marketplace platform called Mercato. And we scaled that really big, went up to around about 35 software engineers and a big team in Manchester. And then, yeah, exited that about two years ago. And then with my CTO, then we then co-founded Vasori together and have been building for, for the last two years, launched about six months ago and we're a data infrastructure company so we have a platform that allows customers to onboard any system or app and then start connecting and building workflows and data transformations all in one place and then they can deploy their integrations and and carry on with their lives. Thank you. So where did the idea of Visori come from? When we were at Mercato we were working with some really large enterprises like Pretty Little Thing yeah, the, the Boohoo Group and like Levi's, the big mm. company. And they had really, really old and large data sets of product data. And they needed to send it from one system into another system. And we needed to sit there and do the software engineering to be able to transform and move that data across and build the workflow for it. So when this thing happens on this system, mm-hmm. do this thing on that system. 
And we looked all around for systems that could help us. Of course, there's like Zapier on the market and other sort of integration platforms, but they couldn't quite do what we needed to do at an enterprise level. So this is where once we exited off from Vesor- uh, Mercato, we decided to then build a solution for that problem that we'd encountered so often. So yeah, that, that's real. It's the old thing, isn't it, of like that entrepreneurial sort of DNA in you. You can't find the solution, so you build it. Yeah, yeah. which is, is sometimes a curse, certainly with a very entrepreneurial technical co-founder because sometimes when there are tools that are available or you can just do something quite manually, mm-hmm. he'll sooner go and build the technical automation for it. It's like, come on, focus. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I track. We had David Levine. Oh, it's funny, actually. We had David on the first podcast. And you're oh, on you? the, the okay. last of this series. But he said very like very similar from his background. So like when he can't find something that works, like he'll just build it. And then that's where it all sort of stems yeah. from. And yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you before we go into talking about accelerators and things was obviously you've made the move from London to Manchester. And I feel like not many people do it that way round. What's your experience or thoughts on kind of the entrepreneurial landscape in London versus Manchester and I presume you've probably had some experiences of funding or raising funding in in both. Yeah I think obviously London's one of the biggest cities in the world so Manchester just can't compete with the the volume of startups etc but as a founder you really struck because it's so large and Mm. there's so many whales that can just crush you and even the perception like you can feel that sense of like, I'm never going to make it to the top here or I'm not like, never going to make it out of like this bubble. When I moved to Manchester, I found that like, the community was so easy to to build those sort of like really key connections, really good relationships and like obviously that sense of community. And then to stand out in that community, even though there's some amazing, amazing founders and startups, it was quite easy because all of the supporters, like the media, the other sort of founder advisors, the key influencers in the area were always willing to bring people up. Yeah. Whereas whereas in London, you've got people clambering all over you to push you down. It's complete opposite in Manchester. So I, I've, I've said this before and we've been, I have traveled quite a bit. We are opening an office in New York in October, but even being in San Francisco, I don't think there's a sense of build community like there is in Manchester. I think the one thing that does lack in Manchester is that really elite talent and the exposure to working for some of the top innovative companies in the world we just don't have that in manchester but where we don't have that we have work ethic and uh, community yeah no that's really interesting so obviously you've stayed up here you, do, you didn't move back as a founder how challenging is it when you're trying to grow your business in manchester or let's say the regions <laughs> to kind of attract and retain that top talent Really hard. So I'd say there's some quite good sales talent here and operational talent because you can pluck from different pools. You know, the, the recruitment scene is very good over here. So, and some recruits are some of the best salespeople, I believe, yeah. for attracting new business. So you can, we've tended to pluck from that sort of talent pool. However, technically, we found it so, so incredibly hard to hire software engineers. And we're creating new technology. We're not just building from existing like libraries and just hoping, like smashing code together. We need to innovate. So we set a really high standard. So already, like it was a developer mm-hmm. market, like candidate driven market when we started hiring. Yes, lately it's it's changed to a bit of a, a hiring market, but 
you know, the, the barrier to entry we, we set for our hires was really high. So it was like searching for the point of a needle yeah. in a haystack. Like it was, it was completely impossible. So yeah, it took us about six months to hire four very senior and very good engineers. And that was, you know, not being too budget sensitive. That was trying yeah. to hire the best. It was just very difficult. Do you have a hybrid working or you, you're no. all in the office, aren't you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big believer of being office-based. I mm-hmm. think you need to be in the room where it's happening, both physically to build that sort of like team culture and relationships with each other, but also to be able to jump around. We've got whiteboards everywhere around the building. Yeah. We, we need to be able to jump on whiteboards to innovate, to solve problems to have that shout across the desk sort of atmosphere, which is, hey, I've got this problem versus even jumping into a, like a a hangout in on Google or like a Slack sort of like call. It's just a complete different dynamic. And I think you need to be in the room. It's happening. Thank you. And then one of the things we were, we were chatting about, I don't think we've had anybody on talking about this. So you've been through the Y Combinator Accelerator program is that right was that with Vasori? yes so we we started building Vasori around about two years ago maybe a little less and we're doing it very much on our own dime you know it was costing quite a bit so we went out to look for like fundraising and one of the things we we found with that was you know we're building for enterprise they needed to see traction etc so we did think okay well, we'll just start build it ourselves and then launch go to market but then I saw I this is a story. I was sat on the sofa at night on Twitter. It was about quarter to 12. And I saw that like, oh, like applications are closing for Y Combinator. It's like 500K, 125K on a 7% equity. And then like the remaining on a most favored nation safe note for later on. Mm-hmm. So it converts that later on. So let's say, and it was 375 grand. So if you do, I don't know, a 30 million dollar rate like Mm -hmm. like valuation cap it'll convert for like 1.2 percent or something like that so it was actually quite a good deal so i applied i had loads of stuff in my notion documents anyway to just paste into it so it was a very quick application process but it was already it was already quite refined from previous fundraising calls etc we did have lots of offers like seis eis funds but just didn't feel right like a lot of the terms were very like stifling and very invasive for a, a pre-seed company, you need the founders to get on with the work rather yeah. than be really like invasive over like having board meetings for a pre-seed company is just bananas to me. We need to build, we need to sell. That's that's the, the objective. So then we did a video, literally did a selfie video. I had I was drinking wine. Like, oh Someone at Y Combinator is going to be dying over you so sharing this story, aren't they? I think like, I've shared it before on on a at a, a, a VC event before, and they're just um, like, okay. what? And I, so <laughs> I, I, I submitted it anyway. Got an interview request. Me and Dan sat down for the interview. They were really harsh. They're like, they'll ask you a question. So, what's on your product roadmap? And you start talking, and then they'll cut you off and go, "What's your expectations for revenue this year?" So, cut you off, and I was just like, they were way harsher than shark tank or dragon's den it was like yeah. really aggressive 15 minutes hung up i was like i said to them i, was, I don't want to work with them like that yeah. anyway they said i like, want a second interview jumped on the, the call and i was going to say look, look guys i just didn't like really feel comfortable and they went we want to fund you i said what uh. <laughs> like, so we have to do that we have like you know ten thousand applications that we have to get through like and we only accept at the moment, like, I think it was 200 on our batch. 
So it was a really intense process, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, ended up getting it. Brilliant. And the experience once you were on the accelerator, I know previously we've had a conversation about like the contacts and the doors that's opened for you. Yeah, I think it's really good for founders that have just come out of university that are very entrepreneurial or like just first time founders. What for a very specific sort of product leg growth sort of type of business, think of the very famous sort of Y Combinator companies like Airbnb, Stripe, you know, Reddit, they're all product first. We're an enterprise integration company and data infrastructure company. It's a little harder to build and iterate with enterprise dependencies. You have to build a very solid platform. Whereas they're always like, like always shipped to prod and like keep on like going. And it, it didn't sit right with me. So it was very copy and paste syllabus to get through. So we didn't benefit the most from that. So the cash we benefited from. Yeah. And then the brand and then the obviously the network in the community is some really good things. I wouldn't recommend it massively for like second time founders that have been yeah. there, done that. And I'm not saying that like we knew it all, but our mentorships were probably benefited from other sort of people and yeah. not an incubator. So yeah, you just gotta be you gotta know what you're getting into. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because some people get very sort of dazzled by the bright lights of some accelerators. And Mm. something you said earlier, which I think is gold, was around you had other opportunities for funding, but they weren't right for you. So they were too stifling, they weren't the right terms, etc. There's been a bit of chat recently, and it's something we're really passionate about, founders making the right decisions and doing their due diligence, not taking the biggest check or the, the first check. And it sounds very much that you kind of took a really pragmatic and holistic approach to your funding opportunities because you knew what you needed to control mm. within the business. Does that sound fair? Yeah, it does. But I'd obviously benefited from previous exits. So I didn't have the financial desperation. Yeah. Like desperation is a harsh word, but like I remember finding my first company, I was, I was completely skinned. Like, mm. So I, I understand the mindset of, I need this money in to make it exist. I need this money in to pay myself a wage. I need that there's so many surrounding factors around, around that first bit of money. And if you can objectively sit back from it and say, like you said, the word pragmatic, if you can have a pragmatic approach to fundraising, as long as you have no emotional investment like into it and seeing that you're building a venture, this is a job, it's a contract job that we've got to sit around for five to 10 years before our exit that's our deal cycle so you have to take like a really clear perspective of why you're fundraising and like why you really need the money if you need the money out of like it's pure survival for the company it's probably the wrong time to be fundraising and probably the wrong platform and idea like yeah. more times yeah. than not so yeah I, I think having that sort of perspective allowed us to be a bit more pragmatic going into it two Brilliant. things I believe that the American market is way bigger for technology that I don't believe it's factually way bigger for technology, certainly in enterprise tech that we do. So I always wanted to raise money over in the States. I always wanted to go and build in the States. And we, so having a Delaware Topco and then doing things on a safe note, which convert for future equity, it allows you for, to retain that very early stage control in your business, which is so critical to the founders being able to navigate with the right support. Our investors are fantastic, mm. but they don't call a board meeting. They're not they're not on the on a board there's no board forms like we'll do that at series a whereas right now we've got two missions build and sell brilliant thank you i did see something recently about why combinator like the number one thing 
was around just launch the product. And I think I totally get what you're saying around, you know, whether it's product-led enterprise, et cetera. But so many founders, I think, struggle, don't they, with wanting to have the perfect MVP or the perfect product. And it doesn't help because we do use Airbnb and Stripe and Reddit and all of those as like, the, you have to forget Airbnb didn't launch like that. No, so it's not right, helpful no. when people are constantly, and this is the challenge I have from a marketing perspective, we go out and get feedback, but you'll always get the feedback of like, wouldn't it be great if it did X, Y, and Z? And it's quite difficult for, for a founder to, to balance. So yeah, knowing you've got those two bits that you need to do, I think I think is is brilliant. And, and it is pragmatic is the word that keeps coming into my head. So just finally, we, we sort of just touched on it then, but you've just recently been through a fundraise experience, which I just had to call you out on it off air to see whether or not that was true. So I did read something to say that this recent fundraise that you had took six days from first call to sort of completion or, or agreement. And you said that was true. So it must have been a really easy, plain sailing, no brainer <laughs> process, <laughs> was it? <laughs> You're nuts. No way. It was horrible. I use the word hate fundraising, but it's not really. It's just, it takes, it's a massive distraction from the business. Yeah, I, I was in San Francisco for three months at the start of the year, not to fundraise for Y Combinator. And I was waking up at 4 a.m. and going down to work. I was in the WeWork in Salesforce Tower. So amazing location to, to build from. And then and I was alone, so my family didn't come out with me like, right. like for the first month. They came for the second and third because I was going nuts. But then, so 4 a.m., I'd walk down. 5 a.m. would be my first European call. And then I would finish my calls at eight o'clock Pacific time. Yeah. So I'll be doing straight through like 15, 16 hours a day, easy. And then I would have to be doing my work for the company after. But I was doing half an hour back-to-back calls with VCs, 260 VC calls that I took. And it was like four weeks straight of first calls. Then I went down to 130 second calls. And then luckily, I was in the position of who I wanted to move forward with. So, and uh, obviously we had some no's, like for various reasons, didn't meet thesis too early and there's no unique offering with what we do. But yeah, it was just calls, 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 nonstop. And then you'd get really invested in VCs and then an offer wouldn't come through and et cetera. So, and then in the end, we got around about 15 offers for the full, full amount that we're raising for. We're completely oversubscribed, but one company came in quite late already had offers that I was considering taking. Came in quite late as an introduction from David Levine, who, who mm-hmm. you had on the, the podcast. And they said they were on two calls a day with me for six days. Wow. Like, we went through it really hard. Then I flew out to Austin to see them. They're having an offsite. So I went and met with all the partnership. Yeah, they had the term sheet. It wasn't really a term sheet because it's safe notes. So it's like an yep. offer. And then they had the offer letter ready to go and said, do you want to sign it? But it wasn't it, that they called it a term sheet it wasn't it's just this the, yeah. the, you sign a safe note and then it gets done and yeah the money was wired like the weekend before the svb oh collapsed. yeah 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 and we were in first republic bank which collapsed the next monday yeah <laughs> so yeah the money came in i was like celebrate oh the bank's gonna <laughs> like collapse. literally watching it disappear I, I, I thought i was gonna wake up on monday and like not have it there and you couldn't transfer money on a weekend in america right I tell you, nothing charts the highs and lows of a founder than that those last like two minutes actually, doesn't it? And it does, and it shows like you've got to 
kiss a lot of frogs, I suppose, before you before you yeah. get to, and that, to the end. Again, the, the the I think the theme is the pragmatism and then having a pragmatism and actually choosing the right partner. We had loads of options from bigger VCs that would be really good for our book going forward, like follow-on funds, etc. But stage two capital have been phenomenal. They're really focused on go-to-market and refining that for us as a business. So when we are, and we're scaling quite quickly, but when we go on to that like A round and really product market fit has pure, really been achieved, go-to-market fit is being achieved, we're ready for it. And yeah. that's the value they've bought, not just the cash. Brilliant, brilliant. So just final question then, what's next for Vasori? What's in the, the plans? Yeah, so actually this week we're launching our first product for consumers and users. It's called Sparkboard. It's an AI automation and integration tool. So you can just type in, you know, when I get an order on my Shopify, I want to update my MailChimp. Like 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 these mm-hmm. sort of integrations. Like it's a bit more of a Zapier competitor, but you can just prompt what you want it to do. And then it goes out and builds all the infrastructure and deploys it for you as well. So that's launching this week. We've got a bigger marketing campaign going out with that. And then, yeah, continuing to look to grow on the enterprise side and opening an office in New York. In nice. And are you going to stay in Manchester or are you going to... Yeah, I'll stay in Manchester. Yeah. Uh, my wife is pregnant with our second child now. So uh, uh, we're really stable and secure here in the, yeah. in, in the UK, but there'll be a lot of travel to America, uh, maybe a couple Best. of weeks a month, I think. So Right, okay. Not when the baby's born, though. Yeah, we haven't told her that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. now. you can't do that. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your, your story around the accelerators, the funding. It's so refreshing to have somebody that's, sort of so focused on the pragmatism of just building and building and building so Mm -hmm. so thank you sean really appreciate it if anybody has got any questions around visori or your journey what's the best way of getting in touch with anybody at your end yeah i'd say threads the new very on trend Uh, so i don't like just reach out through the website linkedin is it is a good place to grab me on and Chat and threads now because you've said you're on it so yeah threads is, is gonna look you up it's a bit pristine for me all right okay <laughs> give it let's give it time eh? it's an yeah. mv it's, no, it's probably not an mvp is it brilliant thank you so much thank you everybody for listening i hope that was really useful stay tuned we'll be back soon with some more episodes thanks sean take thank care bye bye Thank you for listening to Fast Growth Stories. Please remember to subscribe and review and visit the ehe.team website for the latest on fast growth and funding.